0: Hello, everyone. Wow. Now, I smell a rat here. I'm thinking that uh, somebody queued something for last week, and I don't know, but that was nice. I'll take it all the same. I should be gone more often. <laughs> Apparently, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And uh, I am happy to be back with you. I have been on a uh, preaching Sabbath. I've not been off for the month, but I have been off out of the pulpit for a month. And uh, I did some vacation for the month. I spent time with family. I read uh, books that I wanted to read. I was um, able to uh, do a little bit of traveling, just get some refreshment. It's uh, good to kind of unstring the bow for a little while and just uh, get my heart where it needs to be. I, I did spend a week last week, I was, uh, or not last week, but the week before last, I was in uh, Georgia speaking at a camp, and uh, one of the things I did while I was there is I, I uh, took my little phone and I, I filmed a little clip at the camp, and I thought maybe I would just show it to you here a second. Go ahead and roll that. Hey everyone, I'm over here at Woodlands Camp, they call me Speaker Steve here at Woodlands Camp, and I just want all of you to see what an awesome camp this is. told you so that was nice i uh I, in fact, I thought that went so well uh that i I wondered if maybe we could give our own try to that this morning. What do you think? I'm thinking that maybe it would be kind of no, not so much okay, but uh yeah, I do want to thank the elders and the church uh, for uh, the chance to catch my breath a little bit. I also am very thankful for the month that we, uh, that we had of teaching. We had the series on freedom. And I um, understand that it went really, really well. Were you blessed by it? I hope that you were. And so I, that's good. Yeah, get a little love there. I want to thank uh, Brad and uh, Chris and then Randy Patton and then Tony Sorcy, and then last week, uh, uh, Poli Rouse for helping us to understand that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. All right, today we get back into our series on 1 Corinthians. And uh, so you can get turning there if you would like. This is a letter that we've been studying for some 10 months now. And it is a letter that is written to a seriously messed up church, messed up on every level. And I'm not going to reiterate all the things that we've seen so far, but here in chapter 7, which we've been spending many weeks in, He is addressing concerns that they had and confusion that they had on uh, marriage, singleness, sexuality, and purity. There was a prevailing thought at the church at Corinth that taught that sexual intimacy was was wrong. And he begins actually the, the chapter by saying, now concerning this thought that it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And so he has spent this time addressing this because there was major confusion. You had, you had single people who had natural desires to, to, uh, to be married, and they're thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't. And then you had the married people who already had been married, but now the teaching's out there that it's better if you're, if you're not. And they're wondering, maybe I shouldn't be anymore, and maybe I made a mistake. And so the single people were confused, the married people were confused, there was lots of confusion, and they needed some apostolic direction. And so they write a letter to Paul, Paul responds with the letter that we call 1 Corinthians, and now in chapter 7 begins to address some of these some of these issues. And I'm not going to repeat everything that we've seen here, but I can summarize it by saying that the Apostle Paul says, listen, uh, marriage and marital intimacy are sacred and should be honored by all. Singleness is also a gift and should also be viewed with honor. Now, I want to, chap- I want to finish chapter 7 today and that means that we've got a a much longer section than we normally would take on but he repeats some of the things that we've already seen some of the things we've already taught and there is some new stuff here so we're going to just kind of kind of get our way through the rest of the chapter we begin now in verse 25 here's what the apostle paul writes now concerning the betrothed i have no command from the lord but i give my judgment as one who by the lord's mercy is trustworthy i think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. All right, so he begins now in addressing an issue that actually has some interpretive challenges around it, beginning in verse 25, because he, he talks about what the ESV translates, the betrothed. If you have a different translation, it's probably, it probably says they're virgins. And there's debate as to who he's actually talking to here. I mean, is he talking to uh, simply those that are not married yet? Uh, is he talking to, and this is one of the views out there, that there were single people in the church at Corinth that were living together for perhaps economic reasons, and that sort of like a threes company arrangement, which is an old show that I wasn't allowed to watch anyway when I was growing up, but uh, <laughs> Joyce DeWitt was in the show, though. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that kind of an arrangement which I don't think is a very good option for interpreting this. The the preferable one is that he is addressing couples who are either seriously uh, considering marriage or already in what we would call engagement. Their practice was different back then, but what we would call engagement. And now this teaching has gone out that it's better to be single and celibate. And so they are wondering whether or not they should get married. They're frozen with indecision because they really want to. They desire one another. Uh, The passions are running strong, but now they're wondering if for spiritual reasons they should remain single. So what Paul does now is he just has a pastor's heart, and he gives them counsel regarding what they should do. And basically what he says here is that they should seriously consider staying single. But he doesn't say that for the reason that the ascetic Corinthian teachers were saying. It was for an entirely different reason, and you see that in uh, in verse 26, he says, "Because of the present crisis or the present distress that is going on." Now, I wish I could tell you what the distress was. That was we don't know what it was. Some people think it was a famine uh, there in Greece. It might have been persecution in the church. We don't know. But something was going on at the time that caused the apostle Paul to say, "Listen, marriage has responsibilities." And in a time of crisis like we're in right now, you very very seriously should consider remaining single because it might be hard to fulfill those responsibilities. So don't look at this because very zealous young people, for example, at Bible colleges, the, 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 the guys in the dorm, they read these passages and they're like, we're sold out for Jesus. We're not going to get, it's better not to marry, the Apostle Paul says. And they're like form clubs, bachelor till rapture kind of clubs, you know. And uh, Realize it is because of the distress that was going on at the time in Corinth. Paul is not saying that singleness is is a more spiritual state to be in. He is not saying that marriage is a more spiritual state. He is simply wanting them to realize that That marriage has responsibilities. And you better think about the circumstances of life and whether you can fulfill those before you decide to get married. In fact, it says in verse 28, If you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. So he is not making a rule here. He is making a recommendation. As Matthew Henry, the uh, classic commentator, wrote, high seas are no time for changing ships. When there's a lot of turbulence, you might want to consider whether or not you should get married. Now, that said, also realize, uh, couples, that if you wait for everything to be exactly perfect, every I dotted, every T crossed, everything, all the ducks in a row, everything's got to be perfect, you probably will never get married. So don't wait till everything's perfect, okay? good advice. (laughs) Okay, moving right along. Look at verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown short, very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Why? For the present form of this world is passing away. Okay, now here's what Paul does. He goes goes from the specific... Matter of marriage and he broadens it out now and he makes an overarching statement a kind of perspective that all Christians should have about everything that is related to this world marriage and all the rest And it has to do with a big story he's, he's trying to give a people call the meta-narrative the big picture here and saying listen You need to realize that marriage is a part of a world that is passing away in fact, he lists five things here that are a part of this world, and this world is going down. Now, let's just remind ourselves of the big story of redemption. We talk about Christian worldview. We have the, basics, the basic chapters of the, of the story are that God created the world. Perfect, sublime, wonderful, beautiful. Mankind sins in chapter 2. The fall of man and all of the destruction and death enters into the world and condemnation and wrath from God. Chapter 3 is redemption. Jesus Christ comes and is, is, uh, is crucified on the cross. And as he dies, he dies bearing the sins of the world. Now making a way for there to be a rescue, a relationship with God for all sinners who will believe. And the final chapter is... That Jesus is coming back and he is going to consume uh, this world. He is going to consummate history and set up now the new heaven, the new earth, and what we call eternal life. That's That's the big story. And what Paul is wanting us to see in the context of the big story, that marriage and anything else that is tethered to this world is passing away. Therefore, how important should it be to us if it is not if it is not permanent. So marriage like everything else in this world is temporarily significant. It is significant, but it is temporarily significant. Which means then that there are as we look at marriage and family and and really these other things, there are there's two there's two sides of the horse that we can fall off from. And the first one is that it doesn't matter enough. It doesn't matter enough. Is this a big problem in our country, that marriage to people doesn't matter enough? Is it a big problem in America that children and families don't matter enough? And the answer is obvious. Yes, it is a massive problem. We have all kinds of people, this is true in the church as well, all kinds of people who do not view their spouse and do not view their child and do not view their family. With the kind of glory that God has given it. The significance that God has given to marriage. And to realize that God intended marriage to reflect the glory of the Godhead. And we've talked about this. And the glory of Christ and his church. There is glory to marriage. There is inherent value to family. And yet we oftentimes miss it. In fact, two weeks ago, just an example of this. Two weeks ago, I was golfing with the guy that spoke here last week, Poli Rouse. And, uh, I was, I was at the clubhouse and that particular, I think it was a Saturday, there was a wedding that was going on, uh, like at the clubhouse. And so we're waiting to get golfing and and I'm standing there and I'm looking out this big like picture pane window and, and the wedding, the, the wedding's going on, like the wedding party is coming in. So I'm just standing there at the window kind of watching, here comes the bridesmaids and, and, and all of that. And I don't know why I did this, but for some reason I looked and there's these two golfers that are sitting like in the lounge area drinking and watching the TV, eating peanuts or whatever. And I said, hey guys, there's a wedding going on. If you, if you get up here, you can see, it, see, see them coming in. <laughs> and the one fellow says to me, Ah, I could care less about that blankety blank. That's what he said. Now, did I respond to him by saying, I'm sorry, you mean the glorious marital reflection of the infinite love? (laughs) I want you to hear this. Laugh, okay, you got the laugh out. I want you to hear what I'm saying here. You mean the glorious marital reflection of the infinite love of our Savior for his bride, the church, which he gave his life for? and generously grace this earth with the beauty and mystery of unconditional love, and surrender to the other which only death separates. Is that what you're talking about? Did I say that to him? No. (laughs) It would do no good. I think he was drunk. Uh, So (laughs) what I can say, though, is that it, it, it clearly didn't matter enough to him. He had had some experiences where marriage and family and all that, it's a... And in the world, sadly, we have all too much of that. In the church, we have too much of that. And I could stop right now and preach a whole message on how sacred your spouse is and how sacred your marriage is and how sacred the things related to your family are because God has infused them with inherent glory because they reflect the glory of the love of Christ for the church. And that is a message that we got to pound home all the time. Just to add a side comment, I think that's why national ministries that are committed to that are so helpful. And you know many of them. I mean, you turn on Christian radio and there's radio broadcasts of, of ministries that are trying to promote marriage and family. You go to Christian bookstores and there's like, it's like the biggest section in the Christian bookstore, all these books about family and marriage and being a husband and being a wife and all the rest. And that's good. I mean, that's, that is good. And Paul in Ephesians 5 preaches that message. It doesn't matter enough to you. It has glory to it. And I think we could just stop and just pause and ask ourselves, do we view it with the glory that God has said that it has? So, don't fall off the horse on this side. It doesn't matter enough. But that is not what Paul is saying here. Paul is actually saying the other side of this. And before you think this is blasphemous to say in a church, I want you to realize why he is saying it. He is basically saying that there is an error when it comes to viewing marriage and my role as a husband and my family. It can matter too much. It can matter too much. There is a subtle idolatry of marriage and family that leads single people to say things like this. I've got to get married. I've got to have children. And if I don't, then my whole existence doesn't matter. I've got to have it. It leads married people to say, My marriage is what is, is, is ultimate for me. My family is the biggest, most important thing in my life. No Christian should ever say that. Your family can be an idol to you. Not since the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ changes all of the definitions and changes what is actually eternally significant. And it is not your marriage and it is not your children. I do not define myself ultimately as a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter. I find my identity in Jesus Christ. And what comes with him, specifically, eternal life. So Christ changed everything, and nothing is the same anymore. And what Paul is pointing out here is that even these very precious definitions and categories of the human experience to us, and they are precious, but they are not ultimate because they're passing away. So in this, we see that God has appointed a time. In fact, we'll go back to the text, if you would, please, with me. Go back to the text. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, men, do not, you got to understand what this is saying, okay? This is where biblical interpretation is very important. He is saying, in light of what is eternal realize that your relationship with your wife is not your ultimate definition. And then the other four that he lists as well. Because they are temporary. So to, to define ourselves by things that are temporary would be incredibly short-sighted. It's like uh, this last week we had a family that that former members of our church that moved away and they were passing through town and needed a place to stay and they asked if they could... Uh, stay at my house. And so I, I said, sure, that'd be great. So they came in and they've got some little children. And so their one daughter, I did with her what you do with children. You know, there's certain questions that you can ask children that are safe, you know, like, do you love your mommy or that kind of thing. And so I said, um, how old are you? I said, you know, sweetie, how old are you? And she said, I'm three. Okay. Good answer and all that. Right. Okay, I'm three. Now, let's say that I ran into them like 20 years from now, and I said, hey, how you doing? She goes, I'm three. You'd say, now there's something wrong, right? Because being three is a temporary category. You wouldn't want to define your life by being three because it's you don't stay three. It's a simple illustration of what Paul is saying here. Being married is a temporary category. Being a husband or wife is a temporary category. Being a father or a mother is a temporary category. Category. You wouldn't want to define yourself by something that is temporary. We need to look at things in light of what is eternal. And this is what the Bible teaches in terms of a broad perspective on redemptive history. That we live today in the tension between the cross, which has happened in the past, and Christ's return, which is yet to come. And so we have these two, there's tension between these two events, and the theologians call this the already-not-yet principle, that we are we are already living, the Bible says, in the last times. Paul says the time is short. Realize that this world that we are living in is not always going to be here. It is not always going to be like it is right now. Now, we have this every day. We think it's always going to be this way. It's not. Jesus Christ is coming back. He is going to return. And when he does this life and existence that we live in is going to be forever changed and paul's appeal is to live in light of the cross but also in light of what is going to matter on the other side of christ's return and to live for those definitions so the gospel of christ therefore redefines everything for us it changes my relationship with god i am no longer under his wrath now by faith i am his child it changes my citizenship Paul writes in Philippians that my citizenship is not in this world anymore. I'm not living for this world. I am a citizen of heaven, it says. We are we are children of the coming age. We are, we are citizens of what is to come. Therefore, we don't live so much for what this world defines significance. We live for what is going to be significant someday. That has changed. Changes my, where my affections are. Colossians 3, I'm setting my mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why I li- do what I do, I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6, And my motive in it is changed. I do everything to the glory of God. Whether I eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. So salvation, therefore, is a altering of All of my categories and all of my definitions, I look at them differently now. I look at them in light of eternity. Or as they used to say back in the day, to live with eternity's values in view. That's what Paul is saying here. And so faith in Jesus for salvation creates a spirit-empowered, radical reorientation of my life. From the old definitions to the eternal ones. From the old values to the eternal values. So we need to live that way. That's what Paul is saying here, to live in the tension between the old and the new. And what I've called here is, you know, what matters and doesn't matter when you're on the Titanic. Now this is a, you already know where I'm going with this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. If you were on the Titanic, and let's say that it's, it's the final, it's the final cruise, and somehow you know it's the final cruise, and you know that the ship is going down. How would you sort of function differently on the Titanic? Would you go to dinner? I would go to dinner. I would go to dinner. I would savor dinner, every bite. Mm. Okay? Would you uh would you listen to the music and dance on the on the on the, on the deck with your wife? Probably, okay? Probably. Would you enjoy the view out the window of your of your uh of your room? Pro- probably would would do that, you know? Would you get married if you know? That's sort of a silly, but that's kind of the point. Would you get married? Yeah, I pretty, maybe. I, I in fact, I probably would get married if I knew it was going down. Uh, <laughs> what's your name? Fine, let's go. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but would you view the marriage differently? Would you view the pleasure differently? Would you, would you view, would you do, you know, business on the boat different? It would just change everything. Why? Because the ship is going down. And friends, I am confident that we do not nearly, and I'm in this category as well, do not nearly think enough about the reality that this world is going down. And the things that we buy and the things that we so often live for and the things that we think are significant and the things that we define ourselves by, are tethered to the titanic they are going down marriage marriage is going down there is no marriage in the future uh the future kingdom and 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 money is going down and and uh uh definitions of social status are are going down and these things that we think are so important now they're going down and paul's appeal is live with the big picture in view it'd be very foolish to live for things that are not going to last. And so marriage is not ultimate. Being single is not ultimate. They don't matter in the coming kingdom. 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, all right, you get the point? You should by now, I could say it again, but i 'm hoping that you get what he 's saying so let 's move on now we 've got a lot, of, a lot of text to go yet. What he does now is he t- now he goes from the broad perspective of, what ma- of looking at things from eternal perspective back now down to the matter of marriage. What about marriage? What about getting married? What should I think about that verse thirty two Not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So now Paul is just going to get practical. You can almost hear him like a father. If you're a father here and someday your daughter or son is going to say, I'm thinking about getting married. You're going to say, well, son, there's some things I want you to think about before you get married. That's kind of what he's doing here. And this passage only makes sense if two things matter to you. First of all, devotion to God. Secondly, ministry for the kingdom. If those things don't matter to you, this is going to sound silly to you. But they clearly mattered for the Apostle Paul. Think about his life. Think about his life. Apostle to the Gentiles. All the things that he went through. Was this guy like sold out for Christ? Absolutely. So he highly valued devotion to God and serving the Lord. And he brings this now to bear upon the question of whether an engaged couple should get married. And he says to them, listen, it has nothing to do with marriage being spiritually superior or singleness being spiritually superior. It is much more practical than that. Marriage has complications to it. And all the married people said? Having a wife has challenges. And all the husbands said? Loving a sinful husband, and they all are has complications to it, and all the wife said, Amen. all right, so here we have the testimony of married people in our church, affirming the very thing that the apostle Paul is saying here, and that is that as as may, maybe sort of wonderful as marriage may seem, or it 's been portrayed to you in what you know whatever movie you 've watched something, realize that when you get to the bottom line. That it is difficult to be a husband. It is difficult to be a wife. There are challenges that go along with it. That the single man or the single woman doesn't have to deal with. Now, it's funny to me how the Lord brings little moments for me on things that I'm speaking on. Because last night, I was getting ready for our our Saturday night service at the restaurant that I typically go to. Where... Uh, they know me there, and, and so they let me use a little back room that I can kind of call my own. And so I get back there, and so there I am last night, and I'm on this very section right here, going over this section, eating my hamburger, White Sox games kind of quietly on, the, on the TV, got my little sermon notes, just kind of <sighs> sipping my water, and first Sunday back, and it's a very sort of placid, it was a really wonderful moment, actually. Until about a dozen seven year olds and their parents came into the room, all right? Into my room. <laughs> and uh, in they come, and in comes volume, right? Into the room. And they come in there and they're moving tables around and they're moving chairs around and the kids are all like menus are flying and I want chicken wings, mommy, I want chicken wings. And I oh, would, no, you be quiet. And what do you, I don't know what I want. And, blah, 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 all this tough turmoil, people are bumping me as they're going by. And <sighs> I was just thinking that Paul was right. <laughs> that getting married has complexities to it that the single person does not have to deal with. And one of the things that Paul highlights here is that the single man can focus his time and energy on serving Christ in a way that a married person can't. And that the single woman can be fully devoted to serving Christ in a way that the married man can't. Because the husband has responsibilities and the wife has responsibilities that just naturally go along with that. And so Paul is merely asking this question, are you prepared to assume the loss of your freedom to serve Jesus with wholehearted devotion and without any complications? And if you're here going, that doesn't mean nothing to me, I would say to you, that's more a statement of your spiritual condition than your preparedness to be married. Because devotion to God and serving of your Savior I would say, ought to be a pretty important thing to you. And I would even challenge the singles that are here. The assumption that Paul is making here is that single Christians will be a blessing to the church because they will take the time and freedoms that they have to serve the Lord in ways that their married brothers or sisters are unable to do. And so singles, and we have many of them sitting here right now, I want to ask you the question, how well are you doing at that? What are you spending your time on? Your singleness as a Christian, is not freedom to develop your favorite hobby or your thing that you're doing. It is to serve the Lord. Why? Because this world's going down quickly. So I just want to challenge our singles with that. Billy Graham wrote to uh, John Stott. I don't know how many of you know who John Stott is, but towering figure in the last century, commentator, thinker, theologian guy, single all of his life. And uh, Stott had written Billy Graham a letter, And Billy Graham replies to Stott's letter uh, with this. Thank you for your November letter. Just reading it made me a bit exhausted. How do you do it, my friend? If you had a wife, five children, five in-laws, and 15 grandchildren, it would be rather difficult. Please forgive me if I'm not able to keep up with you. What's Billy Graham acknowledging right here? The very thing that Paul is saying, uh, that John Stott was able to do things that Billy Graham was not able. Able to do, and I just think you know that I am in a little bit of a unique situation to speak to this passage uh, because this is somewhat my story as a single man. Now um, I'm 41, and I've been in ministry for 17 years now, full time. And I uh, I get asked sometimes by people, "What's it like being a single pastor?" And my response is, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a married one, so I don't know how to compare what it's like. I really—it's all that I've ever, I've ever known. But there is no doubt that I have been able over the years to put in time and energy into ministry that it would have been wrong, seriously wrong, for a married pastor to do. He would have been violating his responsibilities to his husband and his, or his husband. <laughs> That's like two in one week. Last week, when we were doing the baptism, I thought they'd put it in the video because I just said something really stupid. We were, I was baptizing a woman, and she just said that me and my, my husband are, are just got married two weeks ago, and we want to begin our marriage on you know, solidly spiritually, and we're getting baptized. And so I turned to her like this, and I said, well, upon your profession of faith, I now pronounce you. So I don't know, but... I think it was Pastor Chris who a while back talked about this and said that uh, Pastor Steve's singleness has been an asset to the church. And I hope that it has been. It's nothing that I've aspired to, and I've made no vows to it, okay, (laughs) just so you know. But it's been an asset, I think, and it's been a joy for me uh, to do it. The downside, of course, singleness has, there's blessing. The downside is that in the joys and sorrows of life, I don't have anybody to share those with. So there are, and that's the thing to realize. Marriage is not a blissful utopia. Singleness isn't either. There are, marriage has privileges and responsibilities. Singleness has privileges and responsibilities. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to honor and value both of them. And to not put one or the other higher than it ought to be. Some weeks ago, I received an email from... Ruthann Mahone. And Ruthann is one of our missionaries. She serves in Asia. She serves in an area that she doesn't like us to say publicly where she's serving. Uh, It's a very difficult place. Essentially, she's trying to reach Muslims with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ruthann is single. And she heard my message from a few weeks ago on singleness. And she wrote me an email. And here's just part of it. So here's one of our missionaries, a single missionary, Speaking to the very thing that we're talking about. Here's what she said. I have not made a commitment to singleness. But I'm not afraid of it anymore. I see it as a gift. There are many things I can do out here that married men and women can't do. I'm more free with my time. And can easily drop everything when father. And she has to talk in this sort of code because they uh, filter her emails. So father is God. When God has someone he'd like me to work with. I can stay in places that would be otherwise unsafe for couples with children, giving me access to areas that would otherwise go unreached. I would still gladly exchange it for the other gift, but now not without some hesitancy. And now you hear, you feel that the tension, don't you? She's recognizing that to get married would be the loss of something very valuable to her. And even if he does someday say, I would be more fruitful married than single and sends me a husband... I never want to mistake the picture for the real thing again. Two verses have become my mantras for life. John 8, 32, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And 2 Timothy 1, 7, but God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a disciplined mind. The truth about the reality of eternity, you hear that? The truth about the reality of eternity has taken away my fear of being single and given me, rather, a spirit of power love, and a disciplined mind. I hope that this truth may help others as well and save someone from making a poor decision because of his love, Ruth Ann Mahone. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture of exactly what the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to say to those that are married and to those that are single? And Paul gets through this whole section and verses 36 through 40, he basically says this. Now, in spite of what I have said, if you, if, if you must get married, if the passions are running high and it must be, then get married. Okay? Get married. So don't hear from this that marriage is somehow any secondary uh, thing at all. It's not. We had a wedding here yesterday. All right, I wasn't at it, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they weren't all dressed in black and singing dirges as the bride came down. They were wearing white and they were clapping because that's what we do here. We celebrate marriage. It is a wonderful gift. It is a blessing. But it is also something that must be understood biblically. So his final words here are basically, to the engaged and to those that are widowed, if you want to marry and you feel that this is the best thing, then get married and rejoice in it. But if you want to stay single and see that as an opportunity to serve the Lord more effectively, then that is a glorious decision to make as well. So you get it? Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Both are to be honored in the church. Both are good. And both must be seen, though, as temporary categories. Because we are doing ministry for Jesus in a world that is passing away. Amen. Amen. Here's what we're going to do to conclude our service now. is We want to have a little time of meditation. And so, um, by this, what we mean is that we want to spend a few moments just thinking about what God's Word has said and to ask the question, Holy Spirit, what do you, what's my what do you want me to take from this? What do you want me to change? And to give a few moments for that to happen. So, We're going to have a little music that's going to play. I'm going to ask you to stand right now, if you would. We have the points from the message on the screen. And let's just have a few moments of quiet and think about this. And you'll hear the music change, which will be the signal that we are dismissed. And thank you again for coming today. If you're here with a spiritual need, something that we can... um, pray with you about, if you have a question, if you'd like to know how you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As the service concludes, we have people here at the front to meet with you and to talk with you. We'd be happy to do it. So let's just spend some moments right now just vertical, praying to God, opening our hearts to him, and may he speak to us.